Hello and welcome to Stumble Upon. I'm Austin. And I'm Emily. Today we're discussing Desert Hearts, directed by Donna Deitch. As always, there'll be plenty of spoilers and lots of fucking swearing. But if that doesn't scare you, then drive your ass backwards to buy some cowboy boots, because we are discussing romance in Reno. Austin, would you like to give me a synopsis of the film? Yeah. While waiting for her divorce papers at a ranch in Reno, Vivian, a repressed professor of literature from Columbia University, is unexpectedly seduced by Kay. This is a review from the New York Times in 1986. Desert Hearts is so earnest and sincere that it deserves an A for deportment. As movie making, it's heavy weather. It's the sort of film in which everyone, including the English professor, talks as if she's grown up inside the life of Helen Trent. I don't know what that means. I don't know who Helen Trent is. When asked why Kay's father was so important to her, Francis said, it's because he reached in and put a string of lights around my heart, which is what Vivian does to Kay. The review goes on to say, the performances were okay, especially those of Miss Charbonneau and Miss Lindley, though their roles aren't. What? I don't even know how to... The performances are okay, though their roles aren't. Mm-hmm. Natalie Cooper's screenplay, adapted from a novel by Jane Rule, is so unimaginative that it makes perfectly credible situations seem unreal. There's so little life in the characters as written, you might suspect that Vivian had never had a husband, and that indeed she's going through what might be called a hysterical divorce. What? I don't even know what to, to process with that. Uh, Helen Trent was a... Uh, a romance uh, radio soap opera that ran from 1933 to 1960. I've got to continue this. Okay, I don't know anything about that, but thank you for that information. The film is the first fiction feature to be directed by Donna Deitch, whose previous experiences in documentaries and commercials appears to have left her with a terribly literal idea of what movies should be. Desert Hearts has no voice or style of its own, it's as flat as a recorded message from the telephone company. Wow. Well, that person sucks and is wrong. What do you think about it? Well, like, what are the things that strike you about the film? Things that strike me about Desert Hearts. The landscape. Mm-hmm. The expanse of the desert. The locations that were shot in. The, very, the realism. Mm-hmm. The ranch, the, the really smoky casino, mm-hmm. the the amazing scene with uh, of the the amazing scene of the engagement party mm-hmm. where Silver gets to perform, which is clearly all she wants to do. Yeah, well, she's performing every time we see her. Mm-hmm. Like she's doing a a form of performance with her friend with her boyfriend fiance like like in the bathtub with with uh, uh with k k with k yeah i mean yeah okay yes she's a performative type of person mm-hmm. but i don't think that minimizes how much she wants to be on stage singing right well no i i, I don't get me wrong i don't think that that minimizes it i'm not that's not what i'm actually trying to say i'm actually saying that the character is so incredibly drawn in in that 
in that she's performing all the time and then we get to see her actual love performing and and her intro to the song to her husband joe like that's that level of performance is the actual level that she wants to be at. Mm, I see what you're saying. But she's always kind of performing with her friends, and it's not a a, a negative. It comes from a good place. Yeah. 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 Like, like, it's a performance out of love. It's a performance out of who she is. I mean, Or she's just a big person, like uh, a big personality is what you're saying. Yeah. And even, like, the first thing, and, and I think this gets into the broader subject of something that we really like about the film as well, which is that all the ensemble characters are so exceptionally well-drawn. But like the first time we see Silver, like she sits down behind Kay and gives her a kiss mm-hmm. and then shows her her wedding ring. And that tells you so much about the character. It's s- such a small moment and yet it fulfills almost everything you need to know about Silver or want to infer about her for the rest of the film. What I like about that scene when she shows her engagement ring to Kay is the introduction it's not the introduction of Kay because the first time we meet Kay is when she's driving backwards mm-hmm. on the road. Yeah. But what it sets up is a world, a very small world for Kay where she's accepted mm-hmm. in her queerness and where queerness sort of is everywhere. It's mm-hmm. it's not something that's defined. Her best friend is getting married to a man mm-hmm. into a heteronormative to some greater or lesser extent relationship. Mm-hmm. And yet... They can take a bath together mm-hmm. without it being threatening. Yep. They can kiss without that being threatening. Yep. They can have a really tight, beautiful friendship where they're open with who they really are and mm-hmm. see each other for who they are. And that's a really wonderful world to set up right at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. I read that the director saw this film as a coming out story. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, and that's true for her. And again, I, I go back to the idea of not worrying too much about what directors say. <laughs> As a director, I love that note. <laughs> but I do, I don't see, I mean, yes, of course, the film has that whole element in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really saw it more as a film that showed what it would be like for a character living in a world that does not accept her queerness mm-hmm. to have pockets of it accept it mm-hmm. and for herself to not ever back down. You said last night she was an arrow of love. Mm-hmm. Like she points her love at you and she's just, Kay is just going to send it at you. Yeah. And just give you all the love she can and smother, not smother you in a negative way, not love bombing or any of that shit, mm-hmm. but just honestly love you yeah. as hard as she can. And and I think that her world is better when she can be surrounded by people who see her as who she is and accept her for that. Yeah. And I just think that that's what's cool about that first shot or that first scene with her best friend Silver is seeing a just a little tiny piece of her acceptance in her world. Yeah. And, and I think that like there's a couple other things that I want to touch on that you just that you brought up. Like, I think that the scene where she shows up for the first time and shows the ring and gives a kiss uh, is really important because like even if it's even if it's just a friendly kiss between two friend between two friends like it does suggest a world in which queerness is acknowledged like from the jump or just normalized yeah like it's it's like regardless of what how silver uh 
chooses to live her life through the rest of the film. The film itself is signifying to the audience that queerness is here by this moment. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to have that at the top because it's it's going to uh, underpin the rest of the film. Like it doesn't dance around the subject. Right. And it, it also is going to be like it's saying that the film is going to be about these type of relationships and what what extends beyond just a friendly kiss or a friendly relationship to what is a romantic relationship. And the other thing that I think that is interesting is that scene that you mentioned or that we talked about a little bit about them in the bubble bath, mm -hmm. about Kay and Silver in the bubble bath is exceptional. That scene is fucking awesome. One, because of how Kay delivers and handles all of the information about Vivian, about mm -hmm. the person that she is in love with mm -hmm. and how she says to Silver that she's probably not going to act on any of it. And she seems really sad, but also accepting in the way that like, well, they probably just don't like me the same way. I found I met somebody special and they don't like me that way. And and that's not something that I think is limited to queerness. Mm -mm. Every single person who falls in love with somebody or has fallen in love with somebody comes across somebody that they that they know they're never going to be with. Mm -hmm. And there's a level of acceptance. There's also a level of heightened exhilaration when you find out that the person that you do like likes you back. Mm -hmm. And that proceeds through the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I wanted to touch on really here is how the film presents the gender role then. So the two women are in the bath together. And then Silver's husband-to-be comes in with drinks and serves them drinks and sits down and compliments them by saying that he wishes he knew what it would be like to be a beautiful woman. Yeah, he's not a creep. No. He's actually incredibly... I think what's really important about his portrayal in this film, mm -hmm. especially in terms of queerness, is his obvious acceptance of the spectrum of love. Mm -hmm. And that we can all love each other in so many different ways and love each person unique to that person. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a threat. Yeah, It doesn't have to be... Uh, a judgment. It doesn't have to be something that makes you question your own relationship. Joe does not question his relationship with Silver mm -hmm. because Silver is taking a bath with her best friend. Yeah, They're just like little kids hanging out in the bath together mm -hmm. or if they had a hot tub, hanging out in the hot tub together. Yeah, They're just friends and he's in there making the steaks because he's good at making steaks and that's what he wants to do mm -hmm. and he wants to give space to his fiance to mm -hmm. have time to mm -hmm. catch up with her best friend and have some privacy in that. Yeah. And then he comes in and he joins them not to get into the bath or to make it a sexual scene where the three of them go at it or something. Yeah. He's just friendship. It's just friendship and all yep. the spectrums of love. And I love it because I think queerness often gets turned into this space of like who you're sleeping with. Mm -hmm. And that's the beginning and end of it. Mm -hmm. And that's all it is. And it is not. And I think love in general should be seen more in a spectrum format as opposed to your friends or your fucking. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. And so I just think that scene is, is a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful aspirational scene mm -hmm. in terms of how we could start to look at relationships, uh, heteronormative, queer, whatever mm -hmm. it is, but look and friendships, looking at all the different ways we could be, we could be taking care of each other without judgment and without threat. Yeah. It's, to jump in along with what you're saying, I think what it 
what it does really lovely is it suggests that there isn't a binary to their relationship. That mm-hmm. isn't just like while Sylvia, while Silver or Sylvia, uh, when she's drunk enough, she answers to it, uh, <laughs> is, and Joe are together. They like, and that Kay and Silver have a friendship and a relationship. It isn't defined as this is the only thing. These are the only ways. There's a a fluidity to all of their love. And it's not to say that they're in some sort of polyamorous relationship. They are definitely not. Mm -mm. But the definition of love that they have, that the three of them share between each other, Mm -hmm. as presented in the film, is not one limited to A and B. Mm -hmm. It is... is a and B are one letter. Like it's it's just fluid out there. What they're what they're interacting with, and it's it's super lovely. I mean, the the film goes out of its way to make sure that 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 we know that their relationship is special. That Joe and Silver's relationship is special, specifically for the time, because one of Silver's first things she also says to Kay about being engaged is, "I'm not pregnant either." Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually a presentation like. Even though you might view it as like that's a really sad line as how to how to view like what the relationships or what the standards for love is or were at this moment or what her experience as a character has been. Yeah, it could be very sad, but it's also the way she says it and the way the rest of the film presents them is so loving and so like happy and surprised and and caring about it that. It's like, no, 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 this is not even something that you're going to have to think about. It's just because they love each other. Well, it's interesting you bring up that line, because if you think about this film in terms of breaking societal norms, Mm -hmm. it would say that her experience, Silver's experience before had been only to get married because you were required to by society, Mm -hmm. because you were pregnant, because you had this situation arise. Yeah. And therefore, in order to clear up your name or become an honorable person mm-hmm. or the only way you were going to find a guy that was going to love you is if you got knocked up yeah, and therefore wasn't actually going to love you, just got you knocked up and you guys are societally required to get together. It's interesting that you bring that up because there's another break of society here. It's we are choosing to be together. Mm-hmm. We are choosing this moment. I am happy because we have made a choice yeah. for ourselves, irregardless of society, irregardless of limitations, irregardless of mm-hmm. cultural norms. Yeah. And it also underlines one of the themes of the films then, uh, the film then, because it is about choosing for yourself, which is which is what Vivian is doing uh, when she comes to Reno to get the divorce. Yes, like it's the best reason ever to get a divorce. Like she. Yeah. Uh, she goes, <laughs> as I say, a little too excited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I should keep that for later. Yeah, m- mm, m- check. M- yeah, m- maybe M. This movie will lead us to a new path. Uh, <laughs> no, like she, like the scene that she has with the lawyer, who's also an incredibly well drawn character, who has two scenes. Yeah, but, but stands out. But we know that he's an alcoholic who likes to who likes to have a drink while doing the law, and he has a let's say a fuzzy. Uh, a fuzzy belief of the stringent rules of law. Oh, I think for sure he he does this kind of law so he can sleep with all the ladies yeah. that come through. Yeah. 
when they're talking and he's trying to find the reason to uh, give her the reason that she should have to grant the divorce. Mm -hmm. And she keeps saying, well, there weren't any problems. He, He didn't mentally abuse me. Like, I can't go with that. We can't do these things. I just don't want this life. She's telling the uh, the lawyer that while she wants a different life, like she wants it on her terms, mm-hmm. which is also what Silver is kind of saying. She's happy to be getting married on her terms. Mm-hmm. And that, in fact, every character wants to some degree everyone else to bend to their terms. And the people who find love actually bend to each other's terms, I would say. That's an interesting interpretation. Like, I, I, think that, I, I think that that's also kind of true in just all sorts of romance and love. Like, it's not changing yourself to be the person that the other person sees. It's seeing what you want to be and seeing how you get there. The compromise of relationships. Yeah. Because yeah. interesting. Because every every relationship is a compromise in some degree. Like even friendships are compromises. Like I'll come to your house compared to you go to my house. That's a compromise. That's an interesting interpretation because when you say that you're not willing to bend to other people's will or you have your own stringent rules and therefore if you do not follow them, then this isn't going to work. I mean, that makes complete sense. It's, I think about Francis. Everything. Yeah, Francis is yeah. such a. She's got so many opportunities for love around her, mm-hmm. and she chooses to idolize one that has been dead a long time. And from everything we kind of learn over the course of the film, her ex partner wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't really there for her. Was married to somebody else. Yeah. But she, you know, over glamorizes him, and their own, his own children are are not real impressed with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but are still there loving Francis and she can't quite love them back. Yeah. And they certainly can't love Kay back yeah. because of the fact that she's gay. And of course, it's such a heartache, you know, just yeah. you have this person who loves you so much in front of you mm-hmm. and wants to love you for the rest of their life. And you're not willing to accept it because you don't understand mm-hmm. what they want. Mm-hmm. Like you can't wrap your brain around the idea that your rules don't work for them. Yeah. Um, she's a really sad character. So that, that does align with what you're saying. And she's like, I was saying to you earlier, I still think it's probably true. She's, she's kind of the emotional heart of the film to me. Like she's the one who like, she's the one that I, that my heart breaks the most for. Like she's like, she's definitely homophobic, but there's also like in the last, in the last moment she has with Kay, when she hugs, when they hug each other, there's something really wonderful about, the fact that they know how much they mean to each other. It's just that words and society has put up barriers in front of it. And yes. yet, and yet they do love each other. Kay is doing so much fucking work right there. Kay is doing 95% of the work. Right. All the time. Yes. So first off, Kay is doing a lot of the work. I would say that Francis, I would argue that Francis isn't the heart of the film. Kay is. But Francis is the warning mm-hmm. of where you could go if you don't get on the train. Mm-hmm. She's the warning sign. Yeah. So she was, she does hold it all together, but she's also the one who breaks it all apart. So maybe in that case, you're right that she's the heart of the film because she's kind of the controller of it. Yeah. She's the the conductor of the film mm-hmm. because she brings in Vivian 
and then she rejects her. Mm-hmm. She brings K K in. She rejects K. She brings her back. Like mm-hmm. there's this. She's kind of the accordion. Ooh, well, how many different analogies can we come up with for one well, little discussion? How about this? We can we can keep that one and we can add this to it. She is the heart because everybody else is the blood. She's pushing it away, pushing it, mm. uh, pulling it in. Like she's moving everybody around, even if that's not what she wants or intends. She's just cycling it through this. This she's this, a filter, like this organism that she has, which is the which is the ranch where all these women come to spend time when they're getting divorced. I w- we were just talking about this too earlier, which is that I think it's a really well-written character mm-hmm. to have Francis be the one who runs the ranch, but has not dealt with her own heartache. Yeah. She's there to help all these people move through this really difficult moment mm-hmm. in their lives. They, who's become an alcoholic because of the fact that she won't move on. Can't move yeah, can't on. Move won't on. move on. Yeah. Yeah. That she is, she is, I mean, physically stuck mm-hmm. at the ranch where everyone else passes through with only a few weeks to spend mm-hmm. and then starts to move on to their new life. She's, tr- she traps herself Yeah, in the space and then wants to trap Walter and wants to trap Kay there as well. Yeah. And they're not going to stay. Kay, no. that, that kid, Walter, he's going to New York as soon as he can. The fact that he, like, I love that little bit when he comes in uh, and brings uh, Vivian's bags in when she first arrives and he brings them into her room and she mentions that she works at Columbia and he gives Columbia's address. So cute. You know what it, with without a beat, like just like straight away. Yeah. Knew exactly where it was. Do you know what it reminds me of? What? In the book Travels with Charlie by John Steinbeck. Mm-hmm. There's a scene that he writes where he goes to some small town and he's passing through and he meets a kid who has all these New Yorker articles or New Yorker magazines. And he just wants to talk to him. Uh, to John Steinbeck about what it's like in New York and what it's like in all these other places and, you know, just his adventures and how he can't wait to grow up and he's going to move to New York City. And that's just sort of what I felt. I kept remembering that scene yeah. Um, when I was watching it because I, I just felt like he's just waiting for his moment. And I think in part he falls for Vivian because he's like, she could be my ticket out of here. Yeah. I could get to New York with her. Yeah. She and it's not like I'm gonna fall in love with her and live with her forever and all that other crap. It's mm-hmm. just I just need a reason or a, a hook yeah. to get me out of the door and instead she offers it to Kay. Yeah. And and I don't think like I also think that he's going to at some point visit mm. her and them. Once his sister goes, boom, he's out the door. Yeah. I, I, I love Walter. Walter is it's so important to have Walter and Joe in the film. Uh because the other male character that we have is uh daryl 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 who is a predator towards k he's a gross creep oh and the other male character is the lawyer who also is a creep yes 100 percent. he's kind of a, a mosquito of a creep where he just buzzes around when you're in his area whereas daryl is like a fucking tick like he just attached himself to k and will not let her go until he uh gives her lyme disease but like that's like that feels accurate like he's all of his actions are so fucking awful it's one of those things like i I talked with you before it's one of those things that i'm like are we sure that the history of cinema isn't just littered with examples of how shitty men can be to women no no it is it is yeah like it like even when they're presented as heroes in some films you're like wait 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 hold on that guy's a fucking asshole no i think that that's that's that is the 
great joke is that yeah, it's at the been, end of the day, it's always been about how guys suck yeah. and are cruel to women, mm-hmm. but because it's written and starring and directed by men. And, and, and starring beautiful men who seem sort of charming, which is even a better great or is a greater uh, use of their skills than maybe they, they initially believe, which is that charming men can be fucking terrible too. Are you suggesting that cinema has been used to promote the propaganda of male patriarchy? Uh, no, not at all. I, I don't, feel like that might be what you're trying to I, say. I don't think I'm saying that in any way. White male patriarchy promoted yeah. by the film industry since but, the dawn of cinema. So I think that Daryl plays a really important part in the film, uh, even though he's a creep and a scumbag and kind of awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he plays a really important part for a structural element of the film, which is that without Daryl doing the things that he's doing, we would have a protagonist in K who's doing really pushy and aggressive things to Vivian that would be unmitigated by seeing what somebody who doesn't want to receive those affections would be. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is an element of like a of rom-coms or or romance films of the last well of cinema's history of men being really aggressive towards getting what they want from a woman and pushing them and pushing them and pushing them until they finally say yes right and so you're like you always wanted it you just didn't know it until i shoved it out in your throat right and without without daryl being in the film i'm not sure that we don't look at Kay in the light of her being hyper aggressive. Right. And I think that that's a really important plotting point to the film that, that just kind of happens and it happens naturally because I'm sure that, I'm sure that most people have had an experience at work where they've been, where they've been with somebody who is showing unwanted attention to them. And you're like, I just want to fucking do my job. Mm-hmm. Like you can mask your bullshit and whatever you want to, but I just kind of like to do my job. Right. And not make it an unsafe space. Right. Or like the film we were watching the other night, Carnival of Souls. Yes. Carnival of Souls, where she lives across the hallway from a guy who just cannot stop trying to pick her up yeah. and harassing her. And it's, it's such a creep move. And mm-hmm. it gets to the point where you're like, she's going to have to move. Yeah. She's going to have to leave that apartment. She just got to this place. She knew to town. She's got to figure out a whole other setup because this guy's like, hey, you're across the hall. So this is easy, ample opportunity for me to just harass you. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Kate could be seen as pretty, not predatory, but aggressive. Yes. In uh, her um, in her attempts to woo mm-hmm. Vivian. But because Vivian is open mm-hmm. to it to, at first, uh, slowly but surely, mm-hmm. Um it is it's not gross it's not it's not creepy it's yeah. not a, and that, isn't that the ultimate point of like kind of wooing somebody in yeah. general it you, somebody has always got to be the one that's a little bit more right uh putting it out there letting you know that that you like them and if they like you back it works yeah and and i think that like taking a look at the film as a as a piece like what are the elements that show us that vivian is actually interested in k whereas k is not interested in in Daryl. Well, she tells Daryl directly it's never going to happen. So right. that's how we know for sure he, he Kay cor- is not interested. He corners her in his office. Mm-hmm. Physically. He, he parades around the changing area of th- all the women who work at the at the uh, casino mm-hmm. to show new women uh, where their, where their uh, lockers are. Mm-hmm. So that he can show Kay how much they like him. Yeah. So he's like, he's 
Like the things that he's doing that are really kind of aggressive and unreciprocated are those. Whereas Vivian shows her interest in in Kay in certain things. I think showing up at Kay's door with her mail on a walk mm-hmm. and t- and picking up the uh the pottery and the, trying to see her artwork. Yeah, see her for who she is and that she's not offended about the fact that there's a woman in Kay's bed. She just uh, is like, sorry, I interrupted, basically. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty baller move to have in 1959 to have a lady visible and her not be threatened. And for Kay to not keep Vivian out of the house, but to invite her in is to invite her in. So it was an invitation in. You can come in Mm -hmm. and see my world. Yeah. And you can choose if you want to talk to me again or not. Yeah. But I don't have to say anything. I can just show pictures, a thousand words. Yeah. I can just show you that I'm an artist, that I'm working really hard all the time, and that I get a lot of traffic. Yeah. <laughs> that's, an, that's an incredible line, too, that she gets a lot of traffic and she doesn't have the equipment. Yeah. I was like, oh, she has all the equipment, bitch. Yeah. It, but it's but it tells you exactly the time frame. Right, 1959. And, and, and also, like, uh, her brother's attitude of like, I don't understand how you get that. Like, I just don't because like, I don't understand it. And we think we know, sweetie, you yeah. don't get it. Like you might be cute, mm. but you are dumb, uh, dumb and kind. But so also like, so we have that. We also have Kay, uh, offering Vivian a ride to, to Reno shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Took a visit the lawyer. Where they sit in between each other, or where, they, where, yeah, where, where Vivian sits in between Kay and her date from the night before, mm-hmm. and Kay puts on music that she knows that Vivian would like. So cute. And then the the date is upset by this because it's boring to her because she puts on classical music that Kay or that Vivian knows immediately that the name of and the piece of music it is. It, this is her jam. And then Vivian reading the situation puts the other music back on the, the rockabilly back on because she knows that would make everybody happier in the, in the area. Well, yeah. And it was a total power struggle by the date. Yeah. And rightly so. Yeah. The date is just coming yeah. from her, from Kay's house. Yeah. I don't even know. I think her Gwen, maybe I don't know what her name is. Yeah. Kay's just kind uh, coming from Kay's house and they're getting a ride back to the city and you're like, you're literally picking up another woman right now. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm in the car. So I don't blame her date for being like, what? It is definitely presented like, oh, Kay's doing this really romantic thing for Vivian, but she's being a total dick to her previous date from hours before. Yeah, she's she is proving true to the fact that she has a lot of traffic. She she's a bit of a fuckboy in that moment. Uh You're like, dude, yeah, you're a dick. Yep. So Vivian reads the scene well. Yeah. And is a bit pissed off. Yeah. But Vivian is showing her interest in Kay by not, in my opinion, by not creating a greater issue for Kay. Or like, would you say she's uh, for herself, uh, protecting herself from confrontation? Yeah. It's both. Like because she doesn't need to have a power. Str- you know what it is? She doesn't need to have a power struggle with the date because uh-huh. she knows she's boss. Yeah. She's like, oh, I know this music. I don't care. If you want to listen to this shit, fine. No. I'm going to go. I'm boss. I got this. What I also love is subtly at the end of that scene. So during the entire scene, Vivian has her sunglasses on. And I can't remember if Kay always has her sunglasses on or not. 
but by the end of the scene, she does. And then the last thing that happens is that the date looks across and pulls her sunglasses on. So by the end, all three of them are driving in their sunglasses. They're all uniformed. And I just found it so remarkably charming as a, as a moment of direction because it's like, it feels like, okay, it feels from the date like she's going, okay, I've got to be baller like this bitch. Like, I like I, that. I gotta be just like her. Everybody wants to amp up their game when they're around Vivian. And that's and that's something that's important that I don't think that we've touched on. So Vivian comes from New York via train to Reno to get divorced. And if you if you don't know, back when when divorce was not legal or not looked upon well in America, the way that you got a divorce was you went to Reno for six weeks. It seems it was the women always going to Reno. Yeah, I'm sure that some... We don't know if it was just... I'm I'm sure that some men went to... I mean, half-ass internet research tells us we didn't look it up. Yeah, so I'm sure that some men went there, but for the most part, women went there, and then they could get their divorce, and then then get their... gain their freedom, I guess. Hold one second. I'm doing an insert of why you go to Reno. You went to Reno for its six weeks residency requirement and reputation for a quickie divorce. So in order to get a quick divorce, you go to Reno, be there for six weeks, get your residency, and then apply for your divorce and get your divorce wrapped up. And it was typically women because on average it was men that had the jobs so they couldn't go. And women could go for the six weeks because they were housewives and therefore unemployable. Because they had nothing better to do. Because we had nothing better to do. Oh, my God. Because we're still not getting paid for our invisible labor. Mm -hmm. And so that is your half-ass internet research on why you go to Reno for a divorce. Okay. Back to you, Austin. Vivian shows up at the the train station where uh, she's wearing just really buttoned-up clothes, uh, a pencil skirt, and shoes that shouldn't walk in dirt. And and she meets... uh, Good description. Uh, Francis, who uh, who she's staying with, who she's arranged to stay with for her residency in in Reno, and she uh, and Francis is in a plaid cowboy shirt and uh, jeans. jeans and cowboy boots mm-hmm. and just has a fucking swagger to her mm-hmm. and, and like knows everybody at the station. Yeah, and, and I think that's a really important element as well that's just a minor touch that she knows everybody at the station somebody asks if she's full up and she needs an extra room and she's like i wish i was because everybody knows that this is what francis does and people don't look down on her good for job. like nobody is nobody's looking down on the women who are getting divorced Mm-mm. and no one's looking down at the people that are helping them get divorced Mm-mm. it's just an understood fact of life here business yeah it is not shamed which is so fucking lovely as well to just present as this is this is how we do this mm-hmm. so this is how we do so when Vivian, like something else that I thought was really interesting was that when Vivian gets to the, uh, gets to Francis's ranch, she sits down in the, in a chair in her room. She takes off her button up, uh, button jacket. Up jacket and she's just wearing the, a slip on top and she kicks off her shoes and she just kind of sits there for a minute and the film doesn't feel like we're ogling her. It's a very wide shot. It shows her full body 
and it shows how tired she is. And it also tells you a lot of information about her because she's been on a train for a couple of days. She's in that outfit. In a train that probably didn't have air conditioning. Definitely didn't. So, of course, she's not wearing a shirt underneath her jacket. Oh, my God. Because it would be too fucking hot. Because it would be too fucking hot. But it, oh, she has nylons on, too. But Ugh. she's wearing the fucking jacket because that's her. Like, mm-hmm. because you that jacket has the highest shoulder pads outside of, like, the 1980s that I've ever seen. Her posture when she shows up at at the ranch is so like even restricted like her her shoulders want to touch her earlobes they're so high and by the end she's loose yeah you see her hair is so different by the end Mm -hmm. although she's kind of all put back together to get on the train but she but we've seen her now for so long she seems different she's different she's different she's different and even the lawyer comments on how different she is yeah by the end she is a different person she has been able to do the very thing she asked to do mm-hmm. and why she was seeking the divorce was to live a more intentional life yeah, and to be more present in her choices and to no longer do choices that are going to benefit her career or her profession, mm-hmm. but rather to, to live intentionally. Yeah. And yeah, I think that she come, it's a perfect, almost like an unwrapping of Vivian, mm-hmm. the film desert hearts, unwrapping of Vivian, the <laughs> subtitle, because she literally, yeah, we unwrap her. Yeah. Um, sexually, you unwrap her. Yeah. But also just her own coming to get to know herself. Yeah. I think that it's really important that it the film starts off in that kind of wide. So, mm-hmm. like, there's, there is the one thing that happens in, in between her arriving at the at the train station and her arriving at the at the ranch, which is the, the first coolest time. introduction of a character. Yeah. Ever w- when she meets Kay, because Kay, like, she meets Kay because Kay drives past them, and then Kay slams and hits reverse and drives backwards to say hi to her to francis who's not her mom not her stepmom but her kind of her relation or as she puts it later in the film the person i've known longest in my life i've That's known her adopted mom essentially yeah she but they don't call each other that so no. i wouldn't i wouldn't want to put those terms into their mouths i mean she talks about raising her yeah francis talks about raising her so she's essentially yes she's a person that loves her unconditionally with conditions yeah, I was going to say, Kay loves Francis unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Francis loves Kay very conditionally. Well, maybe what I maybe what I would say is that Francis loves Kay and is in a deep and hard conversation with herself about what unconditionally means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Because she she does love her adoptive daughter, not kin. With everything she could be, like all the things she wants to do, she wants to do with Kay, but she just can't figure out how to accept the thing that makes Kay Kay. Mm-hmm. And that, like, for conditions. Yeah. And so she's just in a, like, it, it's why she's so fascinating as a character to me is because she's not, like, she says, horrible things to Kay, but she also says really kind things to Kay. And because of the performance of the the actor, I feel that she is in conversation. Like I think about my grandma and like some of the, like the stories that I know about her and the, and the struggle and work she went through to become a different person than she was when she was in her forties to when she was in her Mm nineties. Like, and that the struggle of life sometimes isn't a, isn't just the sliver of what you see, but is the entirety of 
the journey. Francis is written with a lot of nuance. Yeah. And so like, I agree with you completely and I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging her, her kind of pigheadishness and terrible or just putting it off to a side. Like, I think she's doing all those things and it's terrible, but the performance of the actor who plays Francis is such that I see so much nuance in the things that she's struggling through that I recognize in people that I know. I would love to discuss the cinematography next. Robert Elswit is the DP. And you may know some of his work working with P.T. Anderson on most of his films up until The Master, concluding with Inherent Vice. And you might know him from doing The King of Staten Island, among many other films. But what I liked about his cinematography in this was the naturalistic lighting and the realistic locations. Mm-hmm. Like it just, he he's good at doing shots that feel like they're lit by the actual space. Mm-hmm. That the, the sun is doing most of the work. Mm-hmm. And that whole scene at the beginning where she's in the room that you were discussing earlier, she's just in the room for the first time at the ranch. Mm-hmm. It feels heavy with, the air is very heavy. Mm-hmm. The lighting filtering through her curtains it just feels dense mm-hmm. and he's good at that kind of stuff i think at really capturing the feel of the air yeah which is pretty impressive yeah but i also don't feel like the cinematography is amazing mm-hmm. it's why, good why don't you feel like it's amazing i don't know it just it doesn't um it does exactly what it's supposed to do mm-hmm. which is not get in the way yeah and i think that's important mm-hmm. the important thing about this film is it's 1985 and they're telling a, a love story between two women mm-hmm. where no one dies yeah, and it's the first of its kind and yeah. it's important to not get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. And so since it's a romantic story, the point is to showcase the two women falling in love mm-hmm. beginning and end. And yeah. he does that beautifully. Yeah. He does not get in the way. This is not born identity yeah. trying to tell the romance of these two women. So that is successful. Uh, are you saying that there's no like real flourishes to the film and the filmic style that because of that, there's not really anything special to it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not in the mood for love. Right. You know, very few things are. No, Yeah. but you know, that is stunning. Yeah. And I'd say also a love story, trying not to get in the way of the love story, Yeah. but can still tell it stylistically on the next level. Right. And I do not think that this film is even trying to do that. Right. I would say that in line with what you're saying, that the cinematography is just there to allow these really great performances to land on their own terms. Mm -hmm. Whereas, say, something like In the Mood for Love allows for really great performances to land on their own terms, Mm -hmm. but is trying to also mimic the narrative structure of the film, which is these two people trying to figure out how their spouses got intertwined and how their lives now have become so intertwined. And so Mm -hmm. there's this looping, this confusion, this repetition that is present in that film that tells, that augments the actual story of the film in a really supportive manner. Mm -hmm. Whereas this, it's a straightforward story. Like really, regardless of the synopsis, the film is about a woman coming to Reno getting a divorce, finding love, becoming okay with that, and then asking her new love to join her life. Mm -hmm. 
and that and that's just like there's a whole bunch of nuance that goes in and around mm-hmm. that but it's not like a field of wildflowers it's not something that you're like i don't know what to make of this or i don't know what kind of uh flowers these are there are so many uh hybrids here there's so mm-hmm. much cross-pollination this this film is like no this is this is a beautifully manicured simple garden yes yes absolutely but i feel like there were opportunities missed in the cinematography mm-hmm. by that i mean so they go out to the bar after this is towards the end of the film and they've had like two days or something where they've been having sex in their hotel room whatever yeah. fill in the blank yeah and they finally go out and and this is a, a big moment because Vivian is going out into public with Kay mm-hmm. having fallen for her. Mm-hmm. And she's terrified, right? Mm-hmm. She's so scared. She's going to the bar. She doesn't know how people are going to react. She knows this truth. Nobody else there knows. Mm-hmm. I mean, they get beers bought for them by the locals yeah. who are trying to hit on them. Yeah. So it's, but it's her, like I am, her coming out for lack of a better term. Yeah. And I thought that would have been a really good moment cinematography wise to have felt the pressure of society, the oppression mm-hmm. of the space to feel confined in the booth, yeah. to feel the men luring over their shoulders. So I actually probably wouldn't have put them in a booth. Mm-hmm. I would have put them in the middle of the room. Yeah, I would have made them be surrounded by men watching them uh-huh. and seeing the, like the guys looking and buying the drinks and and kind of settling sidling up to them behind and mm-hmm. like scooching past them and yeah. making them feel like so pressurized. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course, that realistically they probably would have gone to a booth mm-hmm. to get a you know get out on the side and try to be out of the way. But I want to feel that's where I feel like some of the cinematography wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't work for you. It didn't work for me. Thank you. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. It didn't work for me because I feel there was an opportunity to make the audience feel as pressurized as Vivian does. Yeah. And instead, it feels more loose and free the way that Kay does. Mm-hmm. So then I guess the question is, is the cinematography reflective of Kay's perspective of life mm-hmm. or Vivian's? First of all, I, I I would love to see the film that you're that, that you're describing there that, that you would shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and second... Thank you. Second, there are two things that that I, one I disagree with, in the, the in the production of the film, and and two that I think that you bring up is a really good point. And so, the first thing I'll say is the thing I disagree with, which is Vivian says that she feels really exposed, mm-hmm. and how it's shot presents her as exposed because there's no flourishes, there's nothing else going on but her just sitting there, which is how she feels about it, hmm. like. She sees herself as being looked at. And the reality of a situation is not a theatricality of the situation, but the reality of a situation like this is you would be sitting at the bar and no one would know who you are, but you would feel like every glance that came at you mm-hmm. is uh, is judgment. And because this isn't a high-budget film, I think it's... an I think that the choice that they probably went to make was to say, we're going to film her and we're going to trust that Helen Shaver can do an incredibly good job of feeling awkward in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that she does. Mm -hmm. And I believe all that she's saying, all that she's saying supports 
the visual evidence that I have. Like mm-hmm. she's uncomfortable. She's fidgeting. She wants to leave as soon as the next round of beers come. She doesn't even want to wait for dessert. We can just have it at the hotel. Like all those things, like all the, all the writing and the it's act- all there. Yeah. But all that said, it doesn't feel emotionally the way that you're describing your version of it to be. And I really like your version of it because I am like, I am more theatrically minded in how I want to see things anyway. Like the movies of Senjin Suzuki are the films that I love the most Mm -hmm. because you feel each scene pressurized by who in the scene we are identifying with. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that, that's the second thing that I th- that you brought up that I think is really, really valid for this, which is who is in control of that scene? Whose scene is it? I kind of feel like every scene between Vivian and Kay until the last scene, until the scene in which Kay says to Vivian, I'm not coming up. I'll see you at the train tomorrow mm-hmm. that Kay is in control of. And I would only say that Vivian is the lead actor in the last scene when she asks Kate to join her Mm -hmm. to spend 40 more minutes with me on the train. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, Kay is in control of all of the scenes between the two of them. Mm -hmm. The Vivian is along for the ride until that moment. But what, Mm -hmm. but what would you say about like, what would you say? Do you think that that scene, that scene at the bar after they've had, uh, their nights of passion together is Vivian's scene. Is mm-hmm. it Kay's scene? Mm-hmm. Is it both of their scenes? No, it's Viv- it's Kay's scene. It's not both of their scenes. It's Kay's scene. Mm-hmm. Because, and I mean, you could argue, well, it's her bar where she goes. Yeah, probably knows some people where mm-hmm. she feels safe. Mm-hmm. Um, twelve miles from town. Yeah, you know, uh, the whole scene when she when they leave, uh, Kay's so comfortable there. And she's like, this is my life. You're just like visiting. You know, this is what I have to do all the time. So suck it up. And she's so sweet to the guys when she drops off the beers after they buy them for her. Yeah. And and then she gets in the car and she like lets Vivian walk it out a minute and then goes and picks her up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, here we go again. I'm going to give her a minute to cool off and then she'll jump in the car with me. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just feel like I don't, it didn't sit well with me. Only because I felt like what we're talking about here is is Vivian having to shed all of societal constraints that have been pushed on her by bullshit white male patriarchy Mm -hmm. and the bullshit of heteronormativity and the fact that queerness wasn't accepted at this time. Mm -hmm. And, and the fact that she has a lot to fucking unpack and it's not Kay's problem to unpack it Yeah, because she also had to do all those things And, and and still does and still does and still does. So they're all having to do those things all of the time. So no one's fault. Mm-hmm. But like, I guess I just, but then again, okay. So I guess what I would want to see is a little bit more of that emotionality within the structure of the shot mm-hmm. and within the feeling of being in the bar, the oppression of that. Mm-hmm. Because you have the the tightness of, as you said, the tightness of this of the scene where they have sex in the hotel room. It's very, very tight shots, mm-hmm. very blue, very like, murky a lot of shadows you can't really see what's going on Mm -hmm. and then yes you're very exposed wide shot at the bar Mm -hmm. but to me it feels like the wide shot should be of like the scene of them making love the scene of them having this motion 
this this experience together mm-hmm. and the tight should not be the oppression of being in the bar mm-hmm. that's just me but the second thing i would say is that we discussed earlier was the scene with silver at the beginning where we open up to the idea of queerness and so maybe there is something to be said for having this scene shot the way it is mm-hmm. which is that here is the this is what it would feel like if you were okay with being queer if you were okay with who you were mm-hmm. and living in the world openly yeah this is this is a, a little doorway into Kay's world. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's never easy to truly be yourself, mm-hmm. especially in a society that's repressing you. Yeah. But here's a here's a little experience. Instead of presenting it like the one I'm describing of the oppression of it all, mm-hmm. by kind of being pulled back a little bit more and being from Kay's perspective, maybe we're giving the audience an opportunity to see what it feels like because the audience in general probably knows how shitty it feels mm-hmm. to be confined in in the closet yeah and so here's what it feels like to not feel that way here's yeah. what it feels like to be okay with your queerness and to think that you're a perfectly good person because you fucking are because we all are well and maybe that's the point of it well well also thinking about the structure of that scene versus what you just brought up the 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 first scene with silver and k where silver it's shot so that we can see both silver and k mm-hmm. in the shot together and silver sits behind her Throws her leg over her, gives her a kiss, throws her hand in front of Kay's face outstretched so Kay can look at it. And there's a physicality between the two of them. Mm -hmm. They are physically intimate in front of a group of people. And no one cares. And no one cares. And then we have the scene later with Vivian and, uh, and Kay where they have just had sex for hours, if not days on end. And they are sitting across a table from each other. Mm -hmm. They cannot sit on the same side. They cannot be wrapped up in each other out in public. And they have beers in front of them that are now getting bought by the men in the the establishment. Mm -hmm. Just physically and visually, it backs up how separate the life has to be for these two, even if Kay is out there living her life honestly every day and fighting for her life, mm-hmm. like they are still having to present out to the world, whether it's Vivian's choice or not. We don't know that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Vivian's choice or not, they still have to sit across the table from each other. They still have to present like their friends just out for a couple of drinks before they get rowdy later at the uh, uh, mm-hmm. at the gambling establishments. <laughs> <laughs> aka casinos uh but it but it's interesting to think about even through the sex scene that we see that they are even after the sex scene that we see where they are as intimate as they possibly can they can't keep that intimacy out in public interesting like they can't they can't show the same level of intimacy that that silver and joe can Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they can't even no. show the same sort of intimacy that that Kay and Francis can. Mm-hmm. They have to be, there has to be the Holy Ghost between them mm-hmm. for people to accept them. Well, and we hear about from Francis like all the the twitterings behind the scenes about them, about Kay and the the stories that are being told and oh no, things are going to be said about me too because I hugged you. Yeah. Even though you're my fucking kid. Mm-hmm. And so, and the thing is, we don't have access to that. We yeah. don't hear those stories. We don't hear the people talking behind their backs. We don't have any of that information. So we don't 
know that it's happening. But we see the repercussions of those Twitterings. We do. Like because we she gets see, kicked out of the house. She gets kicked out of the house. She has to move to a hotel. We see like Kay has to leave her home because like she doesn't she knows she's not wanted there. Yeah. Uh, in order to have her own full true life. Yeah. She's like, to leave the nest. Yeah. And, and and while that's probably good for her in the long run. It is. Uh, it's also like these are the repercussions of what other stupid voices have to say. Yeah. No, it's true. And so you have two women who are sitting across from each other at the bar who who are intimate and who are on the way to loving each other as passionately and deeply as they possibly can, who are not allowed to do mm-hmm. that. And like, I think that, I think that one of the things that I love about the film is the fact that the sex scene doesn't ruin it. Like mm-hmm. there are so many sex scenes in films. Like I think about the awkward one in Top Gun. I think about mm-hmm. the end of uh, both versions of uh, persuasion. I know the, the, they ruin the kiss in both of them. Like that somehow people can't stage making out. They can't land the kiss. Yeah, they can't, or they can't, and it's difficult. And and you up the ante when you're like, okay, then we're gonna have a sex scene. Mm-hmm. Like you think of all the insecurities that we all have about our own bodies, and then you put them into a scene where two people have to uh, be naked. And perform it. And perform it. <laughs> really and, hard. And, and they're not hardcore actors who are trained right. in in doing that specific action right. as, as their as, as their go-to. We're like, you know how to make out. I'm sure it's fine. Go. Like, Here's the camera. Like, And to have the sex scene be romantic and engaging and playful and playful and 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 sensual and sexy and then and and that not to be not to be a joke at the end of it Mm -hmm. or not to not to kill the momentum Mm -hmm. because like i think that one of the most amazing things about in the mood for love is that like they don't ever kiss Mm -hmm. they don't get together and it's still fucking romantic and it still propels you forward the romance that these two could have. It's the idea of it. Yeah. It's a sexual, sexual tension. And this film proves the opposite to be true as well. Mm-hmm. You can make a film that is incredibly romantic, incredibly sensual, incredibly sexy for these two women. And I don't think we've touched on that enough. Their chemistry is fucking incredible. It's fire. And put a pin in that because I want to talk about their chemistry. Yeah. So like... The film doesn't get undermined or lose steam, so to speak, because of the sex scene. And that's that is actually a testament to every member of the crew and cast for not for for not undermining or not ending. Not. Yeah. And not ending ending the film 20 minutes before it ends. Not to be like, well, (sighs) and to be clear. Yeah. What you're saying is. It's very difficult to shoot a sex scene well. Yes. And to do it in a way that's inviting for the audience and tells the story mm-hmm. and feels true to the characters. Mm-hmm. And they, 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 she nails it. Yeah. She nails it. Yeah. She did a really good job with this. And Ellswit did a really good job with it. Yeah. Filming it. And he doesn't, again, does he doesn't get in the way of the story. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get in the way inserting himself too much into the shot. Mm-hmm. He gets really nice shots. We're in and out. We know what's happening. 
Yeah. We get we get to experience it. Yeah. And see the evolution of their relationship. Yeah. We get to experience their relationship at this point in the in the same way that we get to experience it when they visit the lake after the wedding. That first kiss is interesting. Yeah. In the rain. It's mm-hmm. very it's very well done. The mm-hmm. chemistry is on fire at that moment. Mm-hmm. The rain is a really good touch yeah. to have her just being soaking wet and so uncomfortable. And she leans into the car to kiss her. It, it's the a, playfulness of like roll the window all the way down. It, it's also a really hilarious metaphor that well, she's yeah. soaking wet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That was, yeah. And I was like, you didn't want to get in the car and kiss <laughs> yeah, her? Like yeah. that was, no, we're going to, but I kind yeah. of liked how awkward it was. Yeah. Because it was like, Kid, this has to happen. It's so cute. Yeah. But to go back to your your point of, Kisses that fail. Mm-hmm. Persuasion, both of them, are perfect examples of the worst kiss that you've built up your entire fucking movie. The whole novel mm-hmm. of, of Persuasion by Jane Austen is all about finally Captain Wentworth mm-hmm. and Anne get to kiss. And in both of the movies, yeah. it is just like, what did just happened? And, what happened? And to be clear, the movies that we're referencing are the Kieran Hines mm-hmm. version and then the Sally Hawkins Sally version. Sally Hawkins version. And that one is even worse. The Kieran Hines one is terrible because there's a goddamn circus, circus that's happening in yep. the background for no reason. Yep. Not part of the book. Why is this in here? And then the and Sally then Hawkins one, she's so biting much, the air like she's trying to like. They're like trying to make attention by making it happen really slowly. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like she's like like a fish. She, I, I she's keep swimming towards. I, I keep thinking she's Pac-Man. Trying. <laughs> she's, <laughs> nom, 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 nom. Yeah. And then and then poor Captain Wentworth, whose name I don't remember. He he's also like they're just trying so hard to get two inches together. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, God, yeah. so much heavy breathing. It's awful. Yeah. The worst kisses ever. Yeah. So it's really hard to shoot them, it turns and, out. And whereas this film, they they lean into the playfulness of it. Mm-hmm. They, they, oh, yeah, the reverse shot when you reveal that Kay is sitting in the bed naked and she yeah. was just sitting there regular. It's yeah. really quick. It's yeah. funny. It's yeah. very funny. And, and how frazzled uh, Vivian looks. Like, like her hair is just messy. Oh, my God. And she's, like, she looks like she's at her wit's end. Like, there's... Like what it does really well is it allows for sex to be all the things that it is, which yeah. is funny and and romantic. You don't always look your best, and and just and it's goofy as shit. Like all, Beautiful. like yeah, it's all these things, and it can be, and all those things lead to a greater intimacy because it deepens the experience, all of the all the elements of it. So it's interesting you bring up chemistry, mm-hmm. because. One of the things I was reading about, one of the reasons it's really interesting to discuss the chemistry is because the director discussed how hard it was to cast this film mm-hmm. because people did not even want to audition for it because it was gay and they didn't want to do a lesbian film. And so she worked really, really hard to find actors just willing to audition. Mm-hmm. And once she found, she found Kay first and cast her first and then knew that she couldn't ask any movie stars to be in it because while she did have the backing of like she had the backing of Gloria Steinem and I believe Lily Tomlin mm-hmm. and I can't remember who the third person was she had that was had, Sagar Channing oh. was behind her so they were all super supportive of the film uh-huh. um, but they weren't in it obviously um, and one of the things that she 
was trying to find was she knew she couldn't cast a movie star once she had cast Kay. And she didn't want to cast a movie star from the beginning because movie stars get offers. They don't audition. And she knew she had to nail the chemistry between Mm -hmm. the two leads. So she couldn't put herself into a position where even if she had the opportunity or the financial resources to cast somebody super famous, that she couldn't just hope that the two leads would have chemistry. She had to know it. And so she said it took her a really long time to find her two leads that had that fire between them Mm -hmm. and were willing to do the film. And I, as I understand it, they're both straight. Mm. Um, so, so I thought that was really interesting. And when they asked her in 2017, if she would cast, if she were to cast it again, would she only work with queer people to play the queer roles, which is something that we really firmly believe in? Uh, she said, no, that she thinks actors can perform anything and, uh, that it's more important to get the right person. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was interesting because I don't, agree with that necessarily i don't mean to say i don't think that you should ever not be able to play a part unless you are that person i disagree with that entirely right she's absolutely right actors are supposed to perform Mm -hmm. and they're good at it Mm -hmm. so give them some fucking space to do it but i do think that you have to at least make an admirable effort at giving marginalized communities the opportunity to play the marginalized roles that they don't have a lot of opportunity to play to begin with yeah i agree with i agree exactly with what you're saying the only thing that i would add to that is that my worldview informs a lot of how I end up working in casting, which is that I, I don't really believe in the binary nature of uh, of I only fall in love with uh, with women or I only fall in love with men, and that's related to my gender in any sort of way. I don't I don't really believe that. I think I I think that at least for myself, I fall in love with a person that is interesting. I fall I fall in love with the mind and and the person. Mm -hmm. And I really think that that, I think that that's a somewhat underdeveloped idea with Mm -hmm. people. Like, I think that we're told that we have to make a choice about how, how we define our love via through society or entertainment or, or, or familial choices. And because of that, we limit ourselves to how we, how we can view and accept love into our lives. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and then maybe neither here nor there, but I think that for casting, like, I think that first making sure that there is, that the marginalized communities are represented and brought up because for years and years and years and years, they have not had the opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for us to, to correct a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's important for us to acknowledge and correct how we actually experience this life that it isn't just a capitalist way of life or a communist way of life or a, uh, or a christian way of life or a, a taoist or atheist like we can have all of these questions and thoughts and doubts and confusions and it doesn't denigrate any specific part of our lives and that's actually one of the things that i love about the Vivian character as she evolves. Mm-hmm. The last thing she say to, she says to Kay is, I don't know what my friends are going to do with you, but I want you to come and see. Mm-hmm. And I want to see what that is. And there's an openness that she didn't have at the beginning of the film. And there's a change that occurs 
throughout the film for her of going from a place of stringent uh, boxes and a stringent life and like everything has to be in these places and it has to go this way to, I don't know, mm-hmm. I'm open. And that's the type of person that I'm interested in looking to cast, the person who is open to what's coming mm-hmm. and not close to what it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that has anything to do with with a specific set of gender or societal identities. Here, here. I think that the like I know that we talked a little bit about how there's a scene that doesn't work as well for you as it could because you would like to shoot it in a different way. I just want to say like one of the things that I love about films and films that are great is that they inspire a conversation in myself that both creates a different narrative so that I can create something else, but also inspires me while I'm watching it to enjoy the narrative that I'm in. That it can be a dual running train. Like there can be two trains on on two tracks running at the same speed and moving in the same direction. One of the things that I want to do with the information I'm gaining and the other being this is incredible that it's allowing me to think these other thoughts. Yes. Was it good? Goddard once said the best critique is to make another film. Right. And so, yeah, it's great because we're making a queer film. Yeah. And so this is how we interpret certain yeah. scenes and, yeah. and in a totally different world in 2022 yeah. as opposed to in 1985 pretending to be 1959. Right. So I like I love this film and I think that there's something incredibly inspiring about all of the all the performances mm-hmm. uh the the production of the fact that it was made at all yeah like which is just is a it, shitty thing to be inspired well, by but i'm directed really directed by a woman written by a woman about women yeah. about queerness yeah 1985 as i read the first uh, the first lesbian film to not have the lead character die mm-hmm. they could just fall in love and that was good enough yeah. Like what? Oh yeah. God! Took till nineteen eighty five. Jesus. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating to me. Like, it's fascinating to me knowing the history of cinema, how many times films end, heteronormative films end, with the main characters on a train and it driving into a tunnel. <laughs> and this is a film that ends with two women jumping on a train together, and there's no tunnels to be seen. No and, tunnels. And the train is moving. Ooh, no tunnels. And to to second what you said, I do love this film. When we watched it the first time a long time ago, it felt really slow to me. It was really challenging to get into, which is shocking when we watched it again, because it's not slow at all. It's very well paced. It's really delightful. There's so much happening. There's so many wonderful characters. So again, it always goes back to that, that old quote. From Clouds of Hills Maria, the text is an object and it changes perspective depending on where you're standing. And yeah. I think that's really true for this film. Yeah. Like who I am as a, as a filmmaker and who I am um, as a cinema watch, watcher, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, now versus where I was is just really different place. And so I see so much more value in this film. I loved it from the beginning, but but I I like it so much more now. Yeah. Your appreciation deepened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just such a good film. So it's worth it's definitely worth multiple watchings. Mm-hmm. Like, don't just watch this once. Yeah. Like, there's so much happening 
in it and there's so much to miss if you're if you're not because you're just trying to figure out what's going on the first time you're watching it right like the first time you watch any film you just are trying to figure out what the beats are Mm -hmm. always worth i mean most films are worth the second watch yeah except for a marvel film you don't need to watch them twice you don't even need to watch them once yeah you've seen it already yeah don't even bother yeah emily is there something that you'd like to recommend people stumble upon why yes austin there is because this is the season of Valentine's Day and romance and all kinds of fun things, I would like to recommend The Fall, which stars Lee Pace. It is such a beautiful film. We were discussing In the Mood for Love earlier. This is another film with color. Like you wouldn't believe the the costume designer, the set designer did the Beijing. No. Yeah. She did the Beijing Olympics? Yes. Okay. So it is worth watching because it is stunning. Mm-hmm. The director uh, is an, he does advertisements mostly. Carson. He, he was, he, he's also known for doing the Losing My Religion music video for R.E.M. There you go. So he is just cinematically stunning in what he chooses, the set, the places he chooses. And it took him, as I remember we discussed, about four years to make the film because mm-hmm. he was wherever he was traveling for the different advertisements he was making or music videos or whatever he was shooting, he would bring out the cast and shoot on location in these different places around the world. So it is just this magical fairy tale of a man in a hospital who's trying to convince a little girl to get him something. And he's using storytelling and fantasy to engage with her and connect with her Mm -hmm. so that he can eventually ask for this thing that he wants. It's not sexual. He wants pills. Yeah. Um, don't freak out. Um, the little girl that plays the lead, it didn't speak any English or barely any English when they started with her. And it's just her reactions, her her work, her facial expressions, everything she does, knowing she doesn't really speak the language, but learns it over the course of the film mm-hmm. is incredible. So if you're looking for a love story and you're looking for something beautiful, watch The Fall. Mm-hmm. Austin, is there a film that you would like to recommend to stumble upon next? Yeah, there's this film called Luz that I recently watched, L-U-Z. And it's a really fascinating David Lynchian type of uh, story about a woman who wanders into a police station to report some sort of incident. And the film kind of ripples out from there about how she was in this car accident because of a person that she knew when she was younger who might have been like who might be might have a, a demon inside of them Ooh. Uh, because of a ritual that they all did when they were kids at a school. And it's like it's really like you hear me struggling. It's. It's a weird film to describe what's happening because I'm not sure that I care what (laughs) what happened or how it happens. I just love the experience of watching the thing. It's just, it's a really fascinating piece of cinema. Uh, It was made in 2018. Uh, It feels like it was made in the 80s or 70s, Mm -hmm. like the, the... the film stock or the the color grading that they did on it is grainy and rough. Like it's very theatrical. It's weird and wonderful. 
I would like to watch that. You did. You fell asleep in it. Just kidding. We'll cut that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for listening with us today as we discuss Desert Hearts. And don't forget to follow us on uh, Instagram. And Twitter. And Twitter at Fishtown Films. Uh, Our film, our feature film, Citywide, is now in post-production in the color grading stage. So we're we're very close. Yeah, we're getting close here. Uh, so stay tuned to all of our channels to find out when we get our film done. Yeah, definitely follow along on Instagram. That's where we primarily share information. Yeah. And you'll see some of the behind-the-scenes shots of the color grading process on DaVinci, mm-hmm. which for any of you film nerds out there, it is a wonderful program to color correct your work. It is laborious mm-hmm. and awesome. Mm-hmm. So we highly recommend uh, using DaVinci. And if you want to know more about how we do it, you can pay attention to our stories while we share the color grading process yeah. of our film citywide. Then it's on to sound mixing, yeah, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, and we got some really awesome local bands who have agreed to be part of the film. And oh we'll, my we'll, god! We'll let you know where you can find them or who they are yes. as we get closer to the date. Absolutely. But for now, you're going to be listening to a little bit of Black Cactus as we move out of this. Mm-hmm. And Black Cactus has made a bunch of music for us for this film. Yeah. And it's incredible. Her work is stunning. Mm-hmm. And you should follow along Black Cactus on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And we will leave a link in our show notes so you can find her Instagram page and you can learn more about her music. Because Victoria is mad talented. Yes, she is. And we can't wait to share with you more of the bands that are part of the film. Um, There's so many good indie bands that you hopefully have heard of, but if you haven't, we're excited to share with you all the different music that's going to be part of Citywide. It's coming up. It's coming soon. So yeah, as always, stay tuned. Follow along on Instagram at Fishtown Films and slide into our DMs. Make some recommendations if you've got any. Mm -hmm. And we just want to give a shout out to our listeners in Germany and Poland. We see you. Give us some recommendations on movies you love. Thank you for coming by. Take care. Bye.